Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Hey, everybody. This is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman, back for the 79th uh, Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition um, uh, gathering on Zoom. Uh, this is Martin Luther King Day, um, uh, the uh, commemoration of his birthday, which was actually on the 15th. Um, uh, it is a major, major holiday, thanks to Stevie Wonder, and also thanks now to the desperate battle uh, over voting rights in this country. It's astounding that after all these years, we still have to basically try and guarantee the right to vote. I will mention <clears throat> that I did meet Martin Luther King in uh, 1966. It was a march on, um, uh, for voter rights, actually. Um, James Meredith, the first African-American who got into the University of Mississippi, was marching alone from the northern border of Mississippi down to Jackson in the summer of 66. And he was shot. Uh, thankfully, he was not killed. He was shot with a shotgun. And um, the entire civil rights movement sort of uh, convened uh, on this route between Memphis and Jackson. And uh, I was a... Um, I'm in between my junior and senior years at the University of Michigan. I was an editor of the, of the newspaper, and I got him to fly me down to Mississippi. <clears throat> and I wound up in, in this town of Grenada. <clears throat> we marched into the town. We were surrounded <clears throat> by both FBI and the Klan. You couldn't really tell them apart. And um, uh, there was an evening uh, ceremony in a local church, one of, you know, a, a, a small community black church. And I, I just very innocently walked into the back door and, and walked right into Dr. King and uh, shook his hand. I was 20 years old. And uh, I have to tell you, he was a really, really nice guy. Um, I, I was also, uh, much to my shock, I was taller than he was. Dr. King was only about 5'7". You never think about those things. But when you're 20 years old, it makes an impression on you. But anyway, he, he was seemed like a really lovely person, and uh, we certainly uh, are thrilled to be able to celebrate his birthday today. I know our attendance will be a little down because a lot of people are doing activities uh, outside for Dr. King, and this is only going to be two hours. So if you got time uh, at the end of it, please go out and, uh, and join the various activities uh, celebrating his birthday. But today is a, an incredibly uh, poignant one because of the the craziness that's going on with voting rights in this country. And um, uh, we are going to deal with that uh, in a deep, deep fashion. Uh, the agenda today, we're going to start uh, uh, with a victory. Uh, it's always great to start with a victory. And we had a shocking victory in Ohio, of all places. The Ohio Supreme Court overturned the gerrymandering, uh, insane gerrymandering scam that they're trying to do there. And Steve Caruso is going to give us a report on that. I do want to I do want to say at the top of the hour, by the way, that we will not meet next Monday. We will meet next Sunday. Um, next Sunday, we are piggybacking. Thanks to Alan Minsky and Mike Hirsch, our, our engineer today, along with Steve Caruso. Uh, we will be piggybacking on to the regular Sunday PDA meeting. And we are going to have a, a, a national launch of the grassroots campaign, grassroots movement to save uh, the, our election boards. And uh, we, we have uh, tw 20 truly great people. Uh, there is, is a, a fire that's been done that Mike and Steve can make available. It will start uh, again at 
at 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time, but it will be Sunday next week, not Monday. So uh, I will put out a notice to everyone, but we do want to make sure that you gather on Sunday. It's going to be a very big deal. We have an amazing crew of heavy hitters, including um, uh, uh, Jennifer Roberts, who's going to speak with us today, uh, Joel Siegel, Tatanka, um, and many others um, uh, uh, who are going to really help us organize the grassroots effort that's going to be needed to protect our election boards from Steve Bannon and the fascist assault. Uh, where they are, you know, one by one, filling the election boards in the, in the county and the precinct level, also the state secretary of state's offices uh, with right-wingers who do not believe in the right to vote. So there you go. That's That will be next Sunday, not next Monday, okay? Um, we're we're going to get a, a report from Minnesota, uh, uh, from Hetty uh, and, and um, Miss um, Foster, uh, we are going to talk about, uh, we have a, um, a situation in Wisconsin that Myra Reason is going to fill us in on. Uh, we're going to talk about the, there's a, 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 a hunger strike going on of young people, uh, many of them from Arizona, um, uh, uh, about what's happening with the voting rights bills. We want to talk about that. And we'll, in two weeks, we'll have a more detailed report. We're also going to have Myra Reason that's going to tell us about the, um, the insanity at the Pacifica Network. And uh, I won't even begin to talk about that, but she will. And we are having a special Pacifica Zoom call on Thursday, this coming Thursday, 12.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 3.30 Eastern. And then we're also going to talk about solar um, with uh, Jennifer Tanner, uh, Ron Leonard, and Tatanka Bricka and what's going on in California and elsewhere with uh, solar energy. Uh, so it's a packed agenda in the first hour, and then we're going to get into the really deep dive on the, on the uh, um, election rights, election protection bills. And we're going to uh, uh, talk about the possibility of demanding uh, that Biden make them uh, into law by executive action, which was done for the Emancipation Proclamation. If you can free slaves in this country with an with a executive action, you should be able to uh, protect uh, the right to vote. I want to go to my co-host, Joel Siegel. Joel, welcome on the call. You got your hand, bro? Yeah. Uh, hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, I was going to just tell people I got I had COVID. It was no fun. I wouldn't wish it on Richard Nixon, maybe Donald Trump, but not I probably shouldn't say that, but not Nixon. Um, but please wear the N95 mask because I was wearing that and the cloth mask the day I wore the cloth mask in Fort Lauderdale is when I got it. So wear the N95. Thank you. It's good to be alive. Well, we're glad to have you back with us. You sound good. And uh, hopefully your immunities are built up and you won't have to go through this insanity again. So um, uh, let's go through our agenda. I wanted to call on Jennifer Roberts first. Uh, mayor Jennifer Roberts, the two -term, former two-term mayor uh, of Charlotte and um, also a major uh, player in our upcoming uh, Sunday um, launch of the National Grassroots Campaign. Jennifer, you're affiliated with the Carter Center. You've done so much great work. Can you give us an update from North Carolina? Certainly. And I look forward to the 23rd and, and telling folks about the, uh, the Carter Center's initiative uh, to save our democracy. Um, let me first say a couple of things. I put a couple of op-eds in the chat 
that shows that we can have bipartisan agreement on a few things because um, many people are afraid for our democracy for all the reasons that we're talking about in terms of voting rights and gerrymandering and more. Uh, but Karl Rove called out the, the GOP for not owning up to January 6th. Uh, and um, Jimmy Carter also wrote an op-ed, I fear for our democracy because of the, the polarization and the attempts by one side to disenfranchise so many folks out of the democratic process. Anyway, um, we, are, we are making progress. We're getting Republicans and Democrats to sign on to this, that violence is not the way, that we need to adhere to democratic norms, that we need to have nonviolence in, in honor of Martin Luther King. The uh, spirit of nonviolence um, continues. That's the way democracy works. It's the way that protests work. Uh, and we hope to continue to message that. Um, on the North Carolina front, um, we just learned, I think this was posted like 20 minutes ago, that our General Assembly is going to convene to push our primaries back another two months. Um, the three-judge panel that heard the first lawsuit against the gerrymandered districts, um, which was, um, yeah, it was a three-judge panel with two Republicans and one Democrat. It was a unanimous ruling that although they were horribly politically gerrymandered, it did not violate the North Carolina Constitution. Uh, we do not have any means to, to call for a popular referendum in our state. Um, to change our constitution, which needs to happen. But, but political gerrymandering is not um, against our constitution. Racial gerrymandering, of course, uh, if that can be proven, is against the, the Voting Rights Act. And that's what we're hoping will happen. The, um, the case is being appealed and it will go to the North Carolina Supreme Court, which right now uh, is a 4-3 split Democrat. Republican, the Republican General Assembly, knowing that it will like their gerrymandering districts will likely fail before a Supreme Court that has more Democrats than Republicans, they have decided to push the primaries back even farther because they're going to have to redraw the maps. Now, how they redraw them, they're allowed to do political gerrymandering. They're not allowed to do racial gerrymandering. And we know uh, in our state that Democrats and people of color are aligned, um, that those it's very hard to to do one without the other. Um, we had independent analysts say that the current gerrymandered districts would actually unseat nine legislators of color uh, at the state level. And uh, that's the argument that has been made by those who are supporting um, new maps, fairer maps um, that reflect our state actually has more registered Democrats than Republicans. And yet the maps that they drew would end up with 11 Republicans and three Democrats in our congressional delegation, 11-3. Um, however, the, the fact of political gerrymandering is not a constitutional violation. So, um, so anyway, our, our primaries will now be June the 7th. And um, what I'm saying on Twitter is, great, more time to register more voters. <laughs> Let's get more people involved in democracy. We have a number of great nonprofits here working on the ground. We have vote riders. We have You Can Vote. Um, all these folks are 
visiting college campuses, registering new voters, telling them their votes are being attacked. Um, we're going to try whatever ends up as the districts, whatever ends up as the requirements to vote. We're just going to keep trying to get as many people as possible engaged in voting and understanding if it weren't such an amazing thing to be able to vote, why do they want to take it away from you so hard? Right. So anyway, that's the update in North Carolina. We'll wait and see the um, we don't have a schedule for when the North Carolina Supreme Court is going to hear the gerrymandering case. But again, we're pretty sure that they're going to go back to the drawing board, literally, and have to draw districts. We're not hopeful they're going to be much less gerrymandered than they are now, uh, but but maybe there'll be some improvement. And again, it just helps bring attention uh, to the continued partisan fight that's going on. Um, a lot of people who are disenfranchised, by the way, when it comes to limiting early vote and mail-in voting are older people, many of whom are Republicans. And so it, it doesn't help it doesn't help at all. It should be a nonpartisan issue. And we're going to continue to put it forward that way. Um, but I will look forward to uh, to more of an update um, January 23rd, because who knows, maybe the Supreme Court will have heard it by then. Um, but also there are more updates going on with our work, our nonpartisan work with the Carter Center. Fantastic, there you go. Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'm going to talk about Ohio in a minute, but Danette, you have a hand here, Danette. Yeah, just really quick question. If anyone can um, go over um, the, um, the status of um, what's going on with uh, at the state level with Secretary of State um, positions and um, the election boards, how they're get uh, people um, of color, uh, people that lean left are getting forced out. I know you had mentioned that earlier, but does anyone have any updates on how that's going, how the fight against that is going? Well, that's definitely going to be the uh, topic of next week's um, a, a national meeting, uh, of which Jennifer is going to be a part. Uh, Jennifer, do, is, do you have any specific ad about North Carolina on that? Well, we don't have that fight going on for our Secretary of State in North Carolina, but we do hear that um, at the local level and the mechanics of the elections, et cetera, that, that there are many, many, many Republicans signing up to be involved in that process. And that's that's happening nationwide, um, that folks are going in at the local level and signing up to be election workers and uh, any kind of election boards they can get on. But I don't have an, uh, a specific update for North Carolina on that. Okay. Uh, we did have reports of intimidation coming out of North Carolina. I don't have a specific on that yet, but uh, we, we expect to have people come forward uh, soon. You, your, your fight in North Carolina on gerrymandering is paralleled in Ohio. Um, uh, Steve Caruso, in Ohio, we actually won <clears throat> a Supreme Court decision. Steve Caruso, can you tell us about that? Yeah, and uh, there was a referendum in Ohio to create fair districts. And um, when it came down to it, after it was implemented, quote, implemented. The Republicans refused to work with the Democrats. The Supreme Court, a uh, four to three decision with one uh, conservative siding with Jennifer Bruner and one other justice, a couple other justices said that the, the maps that the Republicans submitted weren't fair. In fact, the Republicans had it like an 80-20 split, you know, so whereas the vote is like 43 to 50-something 50 something Republicans. So in Ohio, so they're looking at 
setting that back up and getting it fair. Whether that's going to happen soon enough or soon, not too sure at this point. Right. So the Ohio Supreme Court is four to three Republican versus Democrat. But one of the Republicans um, uh, uh, came to the other side and put down the uh, gerrymandered maps that the Republicans put forward. Now, this comes after a statewide referendum that attempted to set up a system that would end gerrymandering. And the Republicans went in after this overwhelming vote to get rid of gerrymandering in Ohio. The Republicans couldn't have cared. They about. weren't even showing up for meetings like Mike DeWine was supposed to be for. Where is he? You know, it's like. <laughs> right. So the, the governor, um, who's allegedly a moderate Republican, made this whole big thing about how unfair the maps were. And then he voted for him anyway. And, the, and his son, the son of the governor, is on the Ohio Supreme Court. And he wholeheartedly supported the gerrymandered uh, uh, maps. So this only happened because one Republican on the Ohio Supreme Court, you know, left the fold and uh, she's More probably O'Connor. lucky to be alive. So there you go. Jennifer, you may want to look at what happened in Ohio um, because it's, it's actually uh, very interesting and germane. OK, we're going to move on. We have uh, 85 people on the call. Uh, uh, Hetty. Uh, do you, and from Minnesota, do you want to uh, tell us uh, what's going on there, please, of the, and Judy Foster? Thank you, Sluggo. Um, first, in remembering Martin Luther King, I just saw a film on the uh, visit of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. to Mankato, Minnesota in 1961. So we did make a, a spot there. Um, on the personal level, I wanted to share with all of you that I just joined the League of Women Voters in St. Cloud, Minnesota, because they are one of the very few grassroots organizations here in this town that is working on voting issues, particularly on redistricting um, issues. And I had invited uh, Judy Foster uh, to tell us a little bit more because she's been with the league for, for uh, a while. Judy, all yours. Judy Foster. Yeah, I need to. Thank you. Sorry, I had to unmute there. Uh, thanks, uh, everyone. It's good to be here. Um, happy Martin Luther King um, Day. I I participated in a in a worship service yesterday, honoring Dr. King, and a, um, a forum this morning. So that's what's on my mind. Um, Minnesota has divided government, which you may know. The, uh, the House is Democratic and the Senate is Republican. So we don't have the same gerrymandering concerns that other states have. They're not going to agree on, on where the lines are drawn. They have both, the House and the Senate, submitted their redistricting proposals, and they are far apart. They are unlikely to agree by the February 15th deadline. So the court will draw the lines. Everyone knows that's what's gonna happen. Um, in the St. Cloud area, I'm just gonna talk a little bit about my experience with redistricting. We've had significant growth in diversity in the last 10 years. So our local League of Women Voters was very concerned. We wanted to ensure that the Hispanic, Somali, and other BIPOC communities were not separated into different districts, because that will reduce their uh, representation and their voice uh, in, in, the, in the legislature. 
We also wanted to keep the local school district together in one district. Right now they're separated and it's a huge district. Uh, we also wanted to keep the local um, St. Cloud State University student neighborhoods together in the same district. Right now they are separated. I'm gonna say a little bit about that because that's what I worked on. The university neighborhood is currently divided into two different local districts. The Southern part of the neighborhood um, where many students live is in 14A while the main part of campus is in 14B. Most of the voting outreach takes place in 14B. So students who live in 14A get confused as to where they vote and which candidates will be on the ballot. If their ward was moved into 14B, the problem would be solved. And that's what we advocated for, as well as uh, other, keeping other communities of interest um, together. That was the testimony that we submitted to the House, the Senate, and the court. Um, the House accepted all of our recommendations to keep communities of interest together, but the Senate did not. Interestingly, the court is going to use a computer-generated model to develop a preliminary proposal. It remains to be seen if our League of Women Voters recommendations will be considered. So I wanna give a shout out to the League. I don't know the strength of the Leagues in your states, but we have a very strong state and local League of Women Voters. Uh, in my experience, it can be an excellent resource for protecting voting rights. It's a nonpartisan organization. So it can't favor one party over another, but they're very much committed to working on fair redistricting maps and other policies for protecting democracy. So depending on the strength of the league in your state, I would recommend that it could be a great ally for the groups you're working with. Right. Whether your groups are partisan or not, you're uh, working on the same issues. So join. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for that, Judy. I, I will say that when I was growing up, my mother was uh, very active in the League of Women Voters, and um, that's how I <laughs> turned out how it turned out. There you go. Julie Weiner has a hand. Julie <clears throat> from New York. <clears throat> Julie, did you want to say something, Julie Weiner? Okay. Sorry. Yes. I'm sorry, I was having trouble unmuting. Okay. Yes. New York State League of Women Voters has refused to consider or take a position on hybrid voting machines, the, the dangerous voting machines that can print over ballots after they're cast. Has the Minnesota League of Women Voters uh, done any research on the issue of uh, voting machine security? Have they taken a position? Not that I'm aware of. I, I haven't heard anything about that. Um, we are not having in Minnesota um, any controversies um, as far as our voting procedures go. Um, the, it's established and it will, you know, continue the way it always has, which is, it's a very good system. But I don't know about the security of the voting machines. And thank you for mentioning that. I'll follow up and see if I can you find out should, more about it. You two should be t uh, in touch with each other. If you can be, Judy, maybe exchange it. Uh, uh, contacts in the chat. That would be really good. As, as we say, the League of Women Voters is one of the great long-term established organizations, but they do vary in their positions from state to state. So um, uh, it's important. 
Hetty, did you want to add anything else? Are we good in Minnesota? Thank you, Judy, and thank you, Hetty, for that. Um, Wisconsin, um, um, Myla Reason, you had something to raise about Wisconsin, and then we're yeah. Gonna... Well, Go you know, um, isn't Wisconsin the home of the Green Bay Packers? It is indeed. Yes. Now it's uh, the the um, Republicans have uh, control over the uh, much of the political. Um, apparatus in the state of Wisconsin, and they've got a firm grip and they're trying to, you know, suppress votes as, as much as they possibly can. So they brought a, a lawsuit or a, a group of Republicans brought a lawsuit to outlaw drop boxes for voting that were would be found in public libraries and fire stations and courthouses and other government buildings. And uh, this last Wednesday, I believe, on the 15th, so I know, I guess that was, at any rate, recently a judge ruled in favor of the um, voter suppression efforts and um, and outlawed these drop boxes. So now it's, uh, you know, people are fighting it in the court. It's going to be appealed, but the, the, um, the voting commission in Wisconsin is, um, is working to um, make sure that drop boxes will be allowed. The other thing that they, the uh, anti, the forces against democracy uh, prevailed in was making it illegal for anyone to give their um, absentee ballot to a family member to submit to the polls. That has also recently been ruled as illegal. So that's what I have. Okay, um, we do have a, a Democratic mayor, a, a governor in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. And, uh, well, see. and the, and uh, just for your sorry, information, sorry about that, guys. No, no, it's good. I mean, he's hanging on by his fingernails. They made laws that the Democratic governor can't do anything. They took away all of his right. power. And also, the horrible Ron Johnson is running for re-election. I will say that the uh, the Packers uh, did get the first round by, and they are going to be playing the 49ers next week. But the uh, the whole Michigan guys with Aaron Rodgers has gotten a little dicey. That will be for another Zoom call. And I'll get, that one will go two and a half hours. Okay, um, so um, I, Milo, I'm going to come back to you to talk about Pacifica. Um, I, and Jerry told me we're going to put the uh, your discussion of the 14th Amendment. Um, that's going to come as we segue into the larger discussion about the Voting Rights Acts uh, with Joel Siegel and, and Tatanka and the possibility of demanding a um, an executive order. But I do want to uh, go, go while we had Jennifer Tanner. I know she has to go. We, uh, Jennifer, with Ron Leonard and Tatanka, we want to talk about the attack on solar energy. And then we'll talk about the situation in Pacifica. So um, uh, Tatanka, do you want to start um, and lead us into what's going on with Ron Leonard and Jennifer uh, on the on the solar issue in California and your upcoming Zoom Tuesday night? Well, um, actually, I'd like to hear from Jennifer first because the rooftop solar issue is really important, the issue of distributed justice. So why don't we take it away, Jennifer? Um, okay, so, um, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm muted. Um, just to bring people up to date on what's going on, uh, rooftop solar is the best, cleanest, cheapest, most affordable uh, energy that there is. But in California, the California Public Utilities Commission plans to kill rooftop solar 
so the investor-owned utilities like PG&E can have more profits. The cost shift is a lie. The truth is that rooftop solar actually makes um, so much energy cheaper, we don't need the same amount of long-distance power lines that are responsible for the high costs. Those long-distance power lines are responsible for the fires and the blackouts, but that is where the pro uh, um, investor-owned utilities get their profits. So who cares if they cause fires or blackouts? They want their profits. Um, uh, the CPUC, California Public Utilities Commission, is a captive agency to PG&E and the investor-owned utilities. And uh, they had planned on the 27th to actually kill rooftop solar because they already told us what they're going to do. But all of California, 73% of Californians love rooftop solar and they have been fighting. Um, 120,000 petitions went out, um, over 600 groups to support rooftop solar. And um, apparently the governor heard it a little bit because he does control the CPUC. And we just heard today that that January 27th um, has been delayed, which means they're going to make some changes. It's a beginning. It's not all that we want because they may make it slightly less horrible, um, but we need to keep up doing what we're doing. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is the governor who put rooftop solar on the map and said he wanted to get a million rooftop solar, um, he came out with a phenomenal article today in the New York Times speaking out for rooftop solar and hoping that the governor does the right thing. Arizona, Hawaii, and Nevada all killed their rooftop solar. And then this year went whoops and undid it. And now they're supporting rooftop solar again. So um, that's where we were. We should be spending our energy on other things than this. It's pathetic that we have to do this, but Everybody needs to call the governor every single day and tell him not to kill rooftop solar. And I will post an action in the chat. Well, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I should point out there's an attempt going on now in Florida to kill rooftop solar. And I suppose we should give a double thanks to Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's also responsible for the anti-gerrymandering situation in California. Um, he, was, he, he gave allegedly $3 million of his own money to support the referendums uh, in California from 2008 and 10 that established the nonpartisan um, uh, uh, districting commission. Uh, to uh, thank you, Jennifer, for that on solar. Uh, Tataka and Ron, do you want to jump in and add to what Lynn Ron, said? Ron, why don't you jump in first? I have some things to say, but I'd love to hear from you, Ron. Ron, go ahead, Ron Leonard. Yeah, sure. Uh, to, to give you a number that may make it interesting, uh, 1.3 million homes in California have solar on their roof. Wow. And if you, if you understood that as a as a group together power plant, uh, that would equal almost uh, probably 700 megawatts of power plants. And what is occurring in lots of places, uh, surprisingly, the first one being Texas, uh, where uh, good old Elon Musk decided to file as a utility. They're going to combine all those individual homes, especially those that have batteries, and make a virtual power plant out of that. And uh, other people have calculated the amount of money that rooftop solar saves to all ratepayers with regard to uh, the amount of service that they give for free to the grid. And the, the interesting cost shift actually occurred 
in reverse, because if you look at the law, the law change requires anybody with a rooftop solar system to be put on a demand rate. A demand rate means if you have a uh, peak in your electric load in any 15-minute period in a month, you are charged a higher fee. The higher fee could be as much as 48 cents. So the uh, rights of you as a solar user and a person who has funded his own solar project would be that you could sell power back to the grid at five cents, and then the utility could take your power that they bought at five cents and sell it to the other local neighbors at, well, I don't know, 28 cents. Somebody's <laughs> making money here, not us. And the other sad portion of this is that this is a national problem. This is not only California and Florida, but it's New York, Minnesota, Connecticut, New Jersey, South Carolina, Arkansas, who's next? This is a coordinated campaign to basically kill solar and the root of solar or the grassroots of solar really has been residential solar. It provides the jobs for solar. It provides the impetus to build the industry up. It provides the volume and the baseload and the innovation and the uh, people that uh, want to see this move forward and become mainstream. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Ron Leonard. I, I, you mentioned uh, Texas, and I can never resist saying this, but when the nuclear industry started off, uh, they promised that there would be electricity too cheap to meter. That was their phrase. It never happened with nuclear. But in fact, at night, in many, many times in Texas, because they, Texas has the biggest array of wind power in the United States by far. No one else is even close. And at night, in certain times in Texas, the, the, uh, the electricity from coming wind power is literally too cheap to meter. They actually give it away. Uh, I love to say that. Uh, uh, Tatanka, and then we'll go to Dorothy. Tatanka, yeah. and then Dorothy. Yeah, yeah the, the bigger picture here is, and this is, you know, corporations plan 50 and 100 years ahead. Uh, what we are in the middle of witnessing, both with voter suppression and with the climate crisis, uh, on, on the climate crisis, the great reset, you know, coming out of Davos, coming out of the corporations, is a, an attempt for large utilities and large corporations to control the timing and what kind of energy we'll use. So the rooftop solar is emblematic and symptomatic of, of this battle, uh, because if we have distributed energy, if we have local rooftop control of our energy, which is more pragmatic and better for democracy, it is a threat to them. So that's the overlying thing. I learned this in 1978 from Peter Schwartz, who had worked when I, uh, I was a campaign manager of a David Harris campaign for Congress. And Peter worked at um, a short story, but it's really, I think, important to show you how, how, how these things work. He was working at um, SRI, Stanford Research, which became Stanford Research International. And he, he was championing something called scenario planning, and uh, which meant that if you had a government or a corporation that wanted to know where you'd be in 50 years, you do this planning. If A, B, C, D, E, F, G, then your product, service, political party will be in this position 50 years from now. He ended up attracting one of the seven sisters. Royal Dutch Shell was his client. 
there were a group of us in 78 that wanted to use the initiative process in California, which was lying there dormant, to outlaw nuclear power in all of California. And we got 555,000 signatures, thought we had it on the ballot, turned out three weeks later, we were 5,000 short because of double signatures, et cetera, et cetera. But when we thought it was on the ballot, I invited Peter down to Palo Alto to talk to our group. And I, so he comes into the room. He says, let me see if I'm reading the room right. You guys are the knights in shining armor. You're championing sustainable energy, solar, wind. The bad guys are the oil corporations and the nuclear giants, right? And everybody, you know, 30 people are saying, yeah. He said, well, uh, and you want the future to be solar, right? Right. I'm telling you, uh, I represent one of the major oil companies, and they totally agree with you. The future is solar. Just not now. And he said, I'm going to tell you your future. This is 1978. He said in 1980, you're going to have a total change of the political situation. Panels are going to come off the White House. You're not going to hear about solar for the rest of this century. 2020, you're going to, you're going to start seeing TV ads with deer running through green forests. Those would be oil companies. That's in the year, sorry, the year 2000. The year 2010, you're going to see Royal Dutch Shell using solar to help get oil out of the ground. And in the year 2020, you're between 2010 and 2020, you're going to hear all these great environmentally sound investment funds. Those also would be oil companies. By the time you get to 2020, that's when the oil industry is going to shift to solar and sustainables. Um, let as, me tell as you how. Mother, as my mother used to say, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> yeah. So. So he said, let me tell you how it works. We find the best and the brightest of you and we buy you. He said, how old are you? I was maybe 32, 33. He said, our head of research is 29 years old. He has long hair. You know where he is? No, he's on a mountaintop in Tibet. He tells us he has to meditate there for four months out of the year. Then he comes down to Antwerp and London and he tells us our 50 year future. I'm, he told me, I'm telling you, get over it. So what we're witnessing now is the beginning of that process, okay? And so what we're about, it's really important to protect small D solar. And the result of, from Reagan onward, where Republicans paid very close attention to local and state issues, we're paying the price for that now. And what we could resolve legally in the 60s and in the 70s can't be done now because four out of five federal judges are Republican and they're corporate. It is a call for local, state, national, international, grassroots, nonviolent political organizing at a level that it just has to be unprecedented because our challenges are unprecedented. So that's what I want to say. Well, thank you for that. And we appreciate it, Tatanka. And, you know, the joining of solar and, and democratic control of our energy is totally bound up with our, 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 our requirement for local control of elections as well. They, and in the, spirit, in, in the spirit of Dr. King, you all know that in the last two years of his life, he focused on economic justice. And he said, if we don't have economic justice, we're going to lose all, our, every, all of our gains. Absolutely. But we're, all, we're also witnessing that. Thank you so much, Tatanka. Dorothy Reich? I just wanted to point out that the uh, 
that the legislators in uh, California are playing really dirty on this issue and they're trying to turn uh, black and brown people against white people and saying that the black and brown people, poor people are subsidizing rich white people for ha to have solar. And it was really disgusting. They had one bill which we knocked down, that, but they're, that, that's their argument against solar is that, it, that it's advantaging white people at the expense of black and brown people. There's no really support sick. of it. And that's the kind of dirty stuff. You're right. I'm glad you pointed that out. And some people, some uh, liberals and even a few progressives start thinking twice when they hear that. Yeah, well, I made a whole big stink about it at the Legislative Action Committee, and I almost got in trouble, but screw them, you know? I'll say what I know. Dorothy, we always love it when you get in trouble. Um, hmm? And, uh, and uh, the, <laughs> the point is that uh, there are also a lot of progressives, so-called progressives, who are trying, saying that nuclear power somehow fights global warming. Uh, talk about absolute insanity. Um, you know, nuclear power emits heat, radiation, carbon, you name it. And they all got to be shut immediately. Um, Lynn, did you take your hand down, Lynn Feinerman? Go ahead. Lynn, Lynn Feinerman. I just want to put in the facts Thank are actually you. wrong, which is 40% of the installations on California roofs. We lost your sound. Ron, we lost your sound there. You got muted, Ron. You're muted. Ron, you're muted. I'll have to come back to you. I'm, I'm good. I said the facts are that 40% of the residential solar systems in California are on low and middle income homes. Good for that. Okay. Uh, Lynn, Lynn Feinerman, uh, then Joel, yeah. then we're going to go to. Um, um, hey, uh, uh, Barbie, I, I also would like to talk about solar for a moment. Yeah, I'm going to call you and then you're going to segue into Pacifica. So um, uh, go ahead, Lynn. Please. And then Joel. Yeah. I mean, I, what I have to say is uh, really simple. Thank you very much, Tatanka, for running that down for us. That was uh, an eye opener, to say the least. Um, and I'd like to know who that schmuck is on a mountain in Tibet. Um, the uh, oh, excuse Sheldon. me. It's Sheldon. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Um, sorry. Sorry, Mike. Um, the um, the thing I just wanted to say is that at this latest COP, which I like to call COP out, um, they uh, had previously um, promised that deforestation would be phased out by 2020. And then they came out at the end of uh, this cop out and they said that the, they were giving us a big gift that um, they were going to be phasing out deforestation by 2030. So um, the manipulation goes on, I guess is. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, I'm going to go. Uh, Jennifer Tanner, did you want to add anything before we move on to um, Myla Reason and, and our Pacific discussion? No, but it was really. I want to speak to Harvey. It was oh, wonderful. I'm sorry, I missed Joel. Um, uh, 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 let me go to Joel first, Jennifer, and then I'll come back to you. Is that all right? Sure. Okay, go ahead, Joel. First of all, Harvey, you should keep your hair short like that. Okay. I'll tell you. Very handsome. Go ahead. Thank you. And what else, Joel? You got? No, that's all I was going to say. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, to, so 13,000 scientists have said we've got less than 10 years 
to survive civilization-threatening climate change. I don't want to, I don't need to repeat that. <laughs> right. So if we go over, and Jennifer Roberts is an expert on this, if we go over 1.5 degrees centigrade of heating of the planet or two degrees, it is irreversible. It is civilization threatening. And I remember I was at a conference at NYU where Jeffrey Sachs, the progressive economist, said that he showed six or seven white dudes who were the heads of utility companies. And he said, we progressives are allowing these white guys to destroy our planet. And what Tatanka said about organizing like we've never had before is absolutely true, but there's one impediment and that's funding. That's number one, funding. Number two, the green movement, although I love them and they're my friends, there's too much turf. There's too much turf. It's for the foundation grant. So the question is, why is it so difficult for American progressives to unify for concerted action? It doesn't matter whether it's voter suppression. I, I don't want this point to be taken lightly because I brought this up. I'm not complaining, but I have brought this up on multiple times on this broadcast. And we don't, other than you, Harvey, and this NPAC, we don't go enough into organizing. We go into policy. I'll close by saying if we do not start having conversations about organizing and how we're going to get real power, we're losing battles that we should be winning. The universal healthcare movement, which I led with John Conyers for 13 years, we won. We didn't get Medicare for all. We got Obamacare, which I'm not mad about because we spent 13 years organizing all across the country, town hall meetings, press conferences, congressional briefings, TV commercials. What Tatanka is doing in California needs to be replicated all across the country because he's getting legislation introduced with Dolores Huerta and others to to actually transition, but he's they're unifying all the groups in California. And the question for Tatanka is, Tatanka, if we don't have much time to and save our planet, what must we do to win? Great, well, great, you- great stuff, Joel. And I want to point out next Sunday, we're going to do exactly that. We're hopefully it's a unifying meeting next Sunday instead of Monday at 2 p.m. That was the segue I was hoping you would do. Yes. <laughs> A bit, giant town hall meeting. We've got a flyer for it, and uh, uh, great heavy hitters. And we hope we're going to be doing every uh, every third week uh, from for the duration. Jennifer, I wanted to deflect that question to you. You're doing great work in California, and then Tatanka, and then we're going to segue over to Pacifica. We have 96 people on the call. Jennifer, we welcome you. And and um, can you tell us more about what you're doing and how and and, and anything else you want to say? Yeah, no, I've said everything I need to. I just wanted to say, um, uh, Ron Leonard, really good to hear from you. That was very valuable. And Tatanka, that story that you told us was really powerful. And uh, it would be good for more people to know that. And I'd like to know more about the details of, you know, the 50-year plan and all that. Very, very interesting. And I look forward to working with you more and more. That's all I need to say. Thank you. Great. Uh, Tatanka, thank you, Jennifer. And and I hope you'll stay with us. uh, through the remainder of Tatanka of our calls. I know you got to go today. 
Yeah. Very quickly, uh, I look forward to working with Ron and Jennifer. Um, Joel is completely right. We really have to get together on the money, and I think we can do it, and that's going to be a main focus. The other thing I want to say is the four groups that we're our first of three bills is focused on is the groups that we need to organize are labor, organized labor. We're having lots of meetings with IBEW, SEIU, teachers, nurses, building trades, because they're the ones that have been killing environmental bills. So labor and strong labor standards, the environmental justice movement, 40% of all new jobs have to be in the environmental justice area, those most impacted, the environmental groups themselves, and then the interfaith groups. And so that's basically how we're, we're setting up to build this campaign. Of course, everybody is going to be involved, but there's particular emphasis on those groups. And then I'll defer the rest for later. Okay, we're at the top of the hour. A fantastic discussion. Really, really powerful. I will say I'm, if, uh, um, I've got a bunch of hands, but um, um, uh, can, if, you, if everybody can do really quickly, I can get you all clear. And then we'll go to Myla and we get... Because one of the things we also desperately need uh, in this movement is media. And that we have, have a magnificent radio network, the Pacifica Radio Network, founded by uh, a pacifist to do progressive work. And it's being absolutely ravaged right now. So we're going to go to Myla. And then, Bobby, can yes. I just say something quickly about Arizona Solar? Go ahead. Yes, please. Um, uh, yeah. Back in 2018, uh, the solar advocates in Arizona put a, a ballot measure uh, up for, for a vote. And it would have required it would have changed the constitution of the state of Arizona and would have required utilities to provide at least half of their uh, um, electricity from uh, renewables, solar or wind, but primarily solar. And um, the massive, um, the largest nuclear power plant in the United States is uh, located in Arizona. It is a muni. It is operated by a municipal entity. Uh, and many, um, the New Mexico's PN, uh, 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 PNB, the, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. But anyway, New Mexico's public utility is a shareholder. The, the, Los Angeles's LADWP is a shareholder. The, um, the, this giant nuclear power plant is owned by municipal entities primarily. And um, ratepayer funds were used to defeat the ballot measure that would have required 50% solar back in 2018 in Arizona. So um, anyway, I just wanted to add that to the, the, the discussion. The utilities, even municipal utilities, Oh, you just got you got muted there. Thank you so much, Marla. And those of us in LA, the LADWP is an owner of Palo Verde, and we have to get them divested. And Marla, please do join Ron and Jennifer and, and Tatanka in their discussion Tuesday night if you can. Um, okay, we're going to very quickly go through the questions, and then we're going to go back to uh, uh, Pacifica, and then the rest of the time will be devoted to uh, Dr. King's honor to these voting rights acts and what needs to be happen, and that will include Jerry Toby. Uh, we'll start with him on the 14th Amendment, uh, banning insurrectionists from elected office. Mary Butler, can you be very quick? And then Dorothy, Wendy, and Jeffrey, go ahead. Mary, Mary. Uh, yeah. uh, all right. Um, 
when it comes to what we keep talking about and other issues out there, I really think that we should come together and try to come up with our own YouTube channel that we can have different shows that address the different concerns so we can break it down more and then maybe be able to invite people into that um, medium and be able to find more solutions quicker than we are right now. And that's going to be part of the... Uh, we don't have a voice on regular TV, but people, so many people are watching YouTube nowadays and you can basically, you can avoid the FCC's uh, narration of what we're allowed to say and not to say more on YouTube than any other platform. Right, and that's one of the part of the discussion of Pacifica as well. Uh, thank you very much for that, Mary. Um, Dorothy, and then Wendy. Uh, I just wanted to say that I think the big problem is, it, with our organizing is that there are so many little groups, and each little group is headed by somebody, and that person is earning a salary from their group. And I don't know how we're going to consolidate so that people can still make a living because they need to eat, but yet consolidate these groups. I mean, just on the environmental side, just if you just look at the Sierra Club and the League of Conservation Voters and all, you know, a hundred different groups and they all work with their own thing. It's the same with the voting rights right. groups. It's the same with all the groups. I know Alan is trying to make a big umbrella organization, but that's not gonna, you know, people just have their own fee systems and they have their own funding sources and they're working on their own thing. And I don't, we have to somehow figure this out. Well, one of the things we do here at GREEP is to link people together and hopefully we can do that uh, as we proceed next Sunday, uh, the, the meeting at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern. Hopefully we'll start that networking process in a more uh, progressive way. Thank you for that, Dorothy. Very well spoken. Uh, Wendy and then Jeffrey, and then we're going to move on to Pacifica. Wendy Lederman. Thank you. Hi. Um, I just wanted to make a quick statement about the um the solar thing. I'll try to be really quick. Um, so yeah, in Florida, you'd mentioned um, and somebody else mentioned about um, like we have a problem with FPNL trying to maintain their monopoly. And a few years ago, we had a petition going around that was basically making it illegal to have any kind of co-op. Like I, I, it was hard for me to hear before, but somebody was mentioning like, um, if you have if you're if you have solar and you're producing too much energy, you have to sell the extra back to the grid. You can't just start like a co-op. Anyway, my main point is that we actually defeated like we got a grassroots petition going that kind of countered the deceitful, um, like falsely worded petition that like FPNL had a petition going around that made it look like you're pro solar and helping, but really it was destroying the solar industry. So it was very deceitful. So just even just having like a swarm of petitioners on this grassroots petition, which we did get paid for, but which made it us able to work on it, but we were able to get the information out. So my, that's my main point for everyone in California and the other states, because this is obviously a national issue that ironically leads back to voting rights because it's all petition and ballot initiatives, a lot of it. But if you get enough information out there and it, you don't need a huge budget for that if you just inform people, whether it's just making like, a flyer that you could put on Facebook and have a promo ad that's just really simple that gets people to look up the intentions of, you know, of everything going on. But just with the right information campaign, you can defeat it or give them a good run for the money. So I just want to say Well, Wendy, you definitely should join, please, uh, Tuesday night. Join with Tatanka and Jennifer and, and Ron and, and, and Myla, and, and because Florida is critical, obviously. And uh, we know that they're trying to kill uh, solar in Florida as well. So if you'll get the link for that and, and join together, that would be really great. Okay, 
Uh, thank you. Uh, Jeffrey, real quick, and then Tatanka, and then we're going to go to Amira to talk about Pacifica. Uh, Tatanka? Can you hear me? No, it's Tatanka, and then you, Jeffrey. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you, um, Wendy, for that suggestion. It also works on a larger scale. In 2016, up where we live in the near the Santa Cruz Mountains, uh, one of the best news that came out of that terrible election nationally was that in Monterey County, we had a fracking, uh, an initiative to ban fracking. And Chevron put $7 million into trying to defeat that. And we all knew people in our community that were being bought off at the tune of $2,000 a week to just say good things about the, about what the oil companies were doing. Uh, with $200,000 over the course of months. So basically very, very little paid anything. It was a volunteer effort. We defeated that by over 60%. So it's possible to do on a larger scale too. So thank you for that Fantastic. news, Wendy. Fantastic. And I, I have also have a piece of good news for everybody. It is raining in Los Angeles. Thank God. Uh, Jeffrey Bartol, and then we'll go to uh, Myra Reese and, and get to Pacifica. Jeffrey, real quick, please. You think... You think the patriotic millionaires can be trusted? You know? No, I, I definitely not. That's why we're going to talk also about banning insurrectionists from public office. Thank you for that, uh, Jeffrey. But you know who they are, so, right? <laughs> we do. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, Wendy, great to link you up, and, and Jennifer with Tatanka and Ron. Um, I, I, you know, there's no reason on earth why, you know, in the 1920s, uh, Florida had mandatory solar water heating. Every house in Florida had to have a solar water heater. So, um, and, and just like Reagan, who ripped the solar water heater off, off the White House, uh, the utilities came in and ripped down all the solar water heaters. So please connect with Tatanka and Ron. This is a great, a great connection. Now, Joel has been talking so brilliantly about tying together, all, and Dorothy about tying together uh, the, uh, the various organizations we also have a media organization, the Pacifica Radio Network, that was founded by pacifists after World War II. Very democratic, very effective. And we've seen a horrible turn of events at Pacifica. Myla, if you could take five minutes and explain. Sure. We will have on Thursday at 1230 Pacific time, uh, 3.30 Eastern time, a one-hour uh, uh, Zoom call on Pacifica to explain the entire situation. And there is an article published at the um, a New Day Pacifica website. You, you cannot believe what's going on. Was there. there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we need.